encouragements for this morning. So let's pray as we come to God's word. Father, we bless your name. We thank you for the privilege it is to be able to worship you freely. Lord, we again do not take that for granted knowing that there are so many in places all around the world uh, who could not come and sing out loud, uh, could not hear the word of God proclaimed but quietly in a bedroom somewhere. And so we are... Uh, continue to be thankful, but we pray for our nation, Lord, recognizing that those freedoms came at a dear price and they seem to be less and less appreciated and recognized for the value that they bring to our society. Help us, Lord, as your people to continue to trust in your word and to pray for our leaders. Lord, we do ask for many of them who do not know you to have the same sort of experiences the Apostle Paul had on the Damascus Road, that you would just knock them off their cars and cause them to ask, who are you, Lord? Um, Father, we pray that our nation would return to the principles and the values that have been so integral to our life. And Lord, we also pray for our nation as we consider the fact that not everything was done right and proper uh, along the way. Uh, people were harmed and hurt, and we pray that you would help us to find uh, forgiveness and unity in our nation as well. For your glory and our good, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to move forward in our series, Why Are We Here?, as we continue to examine the scriptural principles behind our mission statement, loving God and loving people as we grow, serve, and share the good news of Jesus Christ. And we've been looking at these purposes, five purposes, in fact, that are ordained by God for his church and really for each of us as individual Christians as well. Thus far, we've discussed loving God or worship. We've discussed loving people or fellowship. Last time, we spoke of the importance of spiritual growth or dis discipleship <laughs> that flows from a commitment to study the Word of God, hearing it preached, reading it for ourselves, Again, studying it alone or with others, memorizing it so that it's hidden in our hearts, and meditating on God's Word so that we are, rather than worrying all the time, we are thinking about God and His promises. And all of this with the express intent of not merely knowing the Word of God, but also obeying it. So last time we took the key verse of the book of Proverbs as our big idea for the day. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And we noted that to truly understand the fear of the Lord, we have to search out the truth of God's word. Okay? But God's word is such a treasure trove of truth that any effort required to mine it will be richly rewarded. We said that we must strive to understand the truth that has been revealed because God's word is the source of truth, so he richly rewards those who value it. And finally, we said that we must seek to apply and obey the truth at all times because God's word will richly reward those who follow it 
with the map to eternal and abundant life. Our message title today is Disciples Are Gifted, and we are going to be in the book of Romans today. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Romans 12, or actually technically we're going to begin in, at the end of chapter 11. So turn with me to Romans chapter 12. It's one of my favorite books in the entire Bible It's a magnificent treatise on theology. Romans tells us of mankind's fallen condition, of God's anger over sin. Romans tells us about the purpose of God's law, the place of Israel in God's plan, and the fact that righteousness in God's eyes is not obtained by works that we do, good works, but rather by faith in God's promises and his provision for us through Christ. And so after 11 chapters of all these incredible insights into the thoughts and ways of God, the Apostle Paul can only respond in a heartfelt doxology of praise. So I begin this morning at chapter 11 and verse 33. Paul writes, Oh, the depth! of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen? Amen. My friends, may I say to you, our understanding of theology and the study of the Bible should always result in true awe and amazement at who God is and what it is that he has done for us. Again, holy fear that he is the righteous judge as well as awed reverence that he has made a way for us to be reconciled to him through Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. And we have to say that if we're just filling our heads with random facts about God and they don't dramatically move our hearts to worship and praise him, all our reading and study are really completely missing the point. As we've said before, true worship isn't just a feeling It's not just the singing of songs. True worship is valuing the Lord in his ways. And as we respond to what he reveals to us, we're motivated then to declare his worth by living out our lives according to his plans and living out his purposes. So verse 1 of chapter 12 of Romans begins with a very significant word. It's the word therefore. As we've said many times before, whenever we see the word therefore, we have to ask, what is it there for? Okay? Why? Why is Paul saying therefore? Well, in this case, as we just said, you've had 11 chapters of amazing doctrine, profound instruction in theology that Paul has laid out that produced that wonderful doxology of praise. And in worshipful response to all that's been revealed about God in his ways, we are called, therefore, as brothers 
and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Therefore, because of the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God and how awesome and how amazing he is, I urge you, brothers, and as I said, sisters too, the Greek word there is a delphoi. Older Bible versions typically translated that word as brethren, but Adelphoi is a term that often refers to all Christians, okay? And in the same way that we use the word man and mankind for both men and women, Adelphoi has that same concept in most cases. In view of God's mercy, that is his long-suffering that leads to forgiveness of sin through Christ's sacrifice, we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God, for this is our spiritual act of worship. Remember in the Old Testament, the sacrifices were dead sacrifices, okay? Animals died. And this only temporarily provided a covering for sin. But those dead sacrifices were incapable of fully satisfying God's wrath. In our day, we have the great privilege of offering our very lives to God as a pleasing and worshipful response to the offering that Christ made for us, the one that took away sins once and for all. That's why one paraphrase renders this verse. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Kind of a cool rendering of the verse. I don't always like the message translation, but every now and then I think he hits the nail on the head. NIV closes this verse, this is your spiritual act of worship. And the word that's translated as spiritual actually is logikos, the Greek, uh, in, in the Greek it can and does mean spiritual or pertaining to the soul, but it also means agreeable or following reason. Better yet, it's reasonable and logical. It's the same root word where we get logical, okay? In other words, it's only spiritually logical or reasonable that you make this offering of your life to God because of all that he has done for you. And the word translated as worship there, it's not the far more common uh, Greek word proskuneo, which means to bow down towards or to kiss the hand of. It's actually the word latreon. And it was a word that was used when discussing the activities that took place in the temple service, the ministrations of the priest. In other words, we also worship God in our acts of service to him as a response for all that he is and all that he has done for us. And this is the only reasonable, the only logical thing for us to do. Verse 2, do not conform anymore to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Don't just live for yourself and your appetites like the pagans do. Actually, the word there literally is, don't let the world press you into its mold so that you come out looking like them. But be transformed. (coughs) Literally, the word metamorphosed, that is changed from the inside out. (coughs) Excuse me. Let the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit change the way you think, change the way you behave. That verse speaks of the critical importance of discipleship and spiritual growth. And as a result, Paul writes that then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. What's God's will for his children? Well, that they live out his plans and his purposes in the world. So we need to recognize that God uniquely gifts every believer to accomplish his plan. Okay? We've talked about the Great Commission. We've talked about the greatest commandment. And we need to know as well that God uniquely gifts every believer to accomplish his plan. And as we discuss this issue, a key thing to remember is what Paul was inspired to write in Ephesians 2.10. We are God's masterpiece. The Greek word there is poema. It speaks of a poem. It speaks of a piece of art. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned in advance for us long ago. Amplified Bible version. For we are God's own handiwork, his workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus, that is, born anew, that we may do those good works which he has predestined or planned beforehand for us, that is, taking the paths which he's prepared ahead of time, that we should walk in them, living the good life that he prearranged and made ready for us to live. Go back to the original version of the Living Bible. (coughs) It is God himself who has made us what we are and has given us new lives from Christ Jesus And long ago, in ages long ago, he planned that we should spend these lives in helping others. This morning we're going to see three requirements for God's accomplishing his purposes in this world, in our church, and in our lives. And the first is this, God's plan requires that we see ourselves through his eyes. Okay, We need to see ourselves through his eyes. Look at verse 3 of Romans 12. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. I have always been fascinated by humanity's capacity for self-deception. 
There was a time when I used to watch the TV show American Idol, especially very early on um, in those shows, the, the first part of the season during the auditions, you would see what is called hubris in action. <laughs> hubris is, is pride, it's arrogance, it's self-importance. And it was absolutely stunning to me to see the vast number of misguided folks with no discernible talent whatsoever who actually thought that they were going to come in first in a singing contest when they were incapable of carrying a tune in a bucket. And I, I don't say that to judge anybody because I know I'm not the greatest singer in the world. But a few years ago, uh, country singer Brad Paisley, he, he made fun of the whole phenomenon in one of his, his uh, music videos. He, he plays an aspiring singer going on one of these competition music shows and, and William Shatner plays the crotchety judge, clearly inspired by Simon Cowell. And Paisley finishes his song, and he stands hopefully there before the judges to get their opinion. And Shatner critiques his performance, saying, uh, I like the ending. Oh, you mean the guitar solo? No, I mean the ending, the part where you stopped. I, I like that part. <clears throat> God's plan is that we see ourselves through his eyes. We're to think of ourselves with sober judgment, recognizing that God is the one who has made us who we are. Therefore, we must first see ourselves as neither too important. Okay, Don't see yourself as too important. God inspired Isaiah to write, Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Remember, Jesus also warned those who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, that is, exhibiting spiritual pride. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Paul warns that knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know, but whoever loves God is known by God. Remember, as we began this Why Are We Here series, we looked at the topic of worship first because worship puts us in the appropriate place before God. True disciples are worshipers because worship gives us a proper perspective. And sadly, I've known several different Christian pastors and leaders over the years who thought far more highly of themselves than they thought ought to um, as a result, they began to brag how they were going to have regional or, or even national ministries. I, I don't personally know anyone who's aspired to that level of self-elevation who's actually succeeded because the Bible commands us, after all, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but he shows favor to the humble. We need to let God do the exalting as he sees fit rather than seeking honor, glory, and importance for ourselves. God will only use, truly use, those who are humble and who are broken before him. He does not bless those whose pride is puffing them up. I heard a 
pastor say something profound a few years ago. If the objective is dependence on God, which is what ministry really should be founded on, right? If the objective is dependence upon God, then weakness is actually an advantage. Think about that. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the ones he's called. We're to see ourselves neither as too important nor as too insignificant. Insecurity, lack of confidence, fear of failure can cause us to hold back and not be willing to step up and perform the task that God not only wants us to, but has actually been preparing us to do. I think about this when I read the account of God calling Moses to deliver the Israelites from Egypt, from slavery there. I get a sense of annoyance with Moses repeatedly putting himself down and trying to avoid the work that the Lord had been preparing him to do. He told Moses, go and speak to Pharaoh. And Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and of tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who is it that gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go! (laughs) Go, Moses! And I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send somebody else. How many of us have done the exact same thing? But if we saw in ourselves what Paul says in Ephesians 2.10 is true, we have to see ourselves as God's workmanship. as his handiwork. And my friends, God doesn't create junk. In fact, he created you and I just as he wants us to be. And he's prepared unique work for each of us to do as part of his plan to redeem fallen humanity. And I, I think really the Apostle Paul had the right balance of personal humility in himself and confidence in the God who had gifted him. He was inspired to write to the Corinthians, I'm the least of the apostles, and I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. Humility is not false modesty or or belittling ourselves. Rather, it's standing up to our full stature in an honest evaluation of exactly who God has made each one of us to be and trying to be nothing more or nothing less than he wants. God's plan requires that we see ourselves through his eyes as neither too important nor too insignificant. Second requirement is this. God's plan 
requires profound unity. God's plan requires profound unity. Look at verse 4. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and those members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. God's church as a body is one of Paul's Paul's favorite metaphors. His point being the body, even though it is made up of all distinctly different parts, the body is one integrated whole. And that's how God wants us to view his church and the relationships that we have with one another. We're all different, right? We're all unique. Some of us are a little weird. (laughs) But each of us is profoundly important to the whole. And unfortunately, too many people in the body of Christ view themselves like an appendix, something that seems to have no function and could just be cut out with no impact. The reality is the absence of even a small, insignificant part can have a handicapping effect on the body. When I was three years old, I lost the the tip of my uh, left ring finger here uh, in an accident. Lost about a quarter of an inch, and I don't really think about it much anymore. I can compensate, but when I was first trying to learn how to type back in the days of manual typewriters where you had to actually push a key down and and make it slam against the paper, wanted to slide off all the time, okay? It wasn't easy. The way the nail grew back, I couldn't hold a string down with that finger, so that's why I play guitar left-handed, even though I play golf, I write, I throw, I I do everything else right-handed, I'd probably be a better guitar player had I been able to play the way I should have been able to play. But it is what it is, and that's the amazing thing. A loss of just a quarter of an inch off my body meant that things were different. Things were handicapped for me. And without each one of us fulfilling the role that God has prepared in advance for us to do, the church is a little bit handicapped. And enough of us are missing in action. We're severely handicapped. And we have a responsibility to one another and to God to be what he wants us to be so that his church can be what he wants it to be. The scripture says in 1 Corinthians 12, just as a body, though one, has many parts, all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. We were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. And he goes on, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body and that the parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers... Every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. God's plan 
requires profound unity. Third, God's plan also requires diversity. God's plan requires diversity. Look at verse 6 of Romans 12. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. And if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then encourage. If it is giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. And if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. God doesn't give exactly the same set of talents, abilities, and gifts to each of us. He distributes them as he sees fit. We're all unique products of our heredity, our upbringing, our educations, our employment history, and our life experiences. And in addition, God gives every believer, every Christian, one or more spiritual gifts for the purpose of serving others. Paul was inspired to discuss this truth again in 1 Corinthians 12. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. Different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it's the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. Why? For the common good for the good of everyone else, not to benefit you. Gifts are not given to be hidden away. Jesus told a parable about how angry God gets with those who don't use what they've been given appropriately in Matthew chapter 25. Nor are these gifts given for the benefit of the people themselves. They are to be used for the common good, for the benefit of the entire body. Think about it. Where would the rest of the body be if the heart only pumped blood to itself? What if the lungs kept the oxygen all to itself? What if the stomach only fed itself? Because all the parts of the body are dependent on one another. Well, the whole would grow sick and die, wouldn't it? The health of our church body depends on each person doing their part to serve the needs of the rest. That's God's design. Different gifts used for the common good of all. And Paul's list here is is not exhaustive. There's other lists. But rather it's illustrative of the many different gifts that are needed in order to have a healthy body writes, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your face. So the body needs preachers. Okay, Church needs a mouth to speak the word of God. And, and we should say that prophecy in this context is, is not talking about foretelling the future, but rather a foretelling of God's word, expositing and explaining the scriptures so that people can learn and grow The word describes speech coming from divine inspiration, in our case, the Bible, which declares the purposes of God, whether by reproving or admonishing the wicked or comforting the afflicted or revealing hidden things from God's word. Conservative evangelicals overwhelmingly hold that new revelation from God stopped at the close of the canon of the scriptures. God has spoken all that he needs to reveal until the end of time, as 
recorded in the book of the Revelation. So there's nothing more coming, okay? Therefore, we preach what God has already revealed. The Bible tells us that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Second, Paul mentions if it's serving, then serve. <coughs> the church needs muscles to do the work that God has called us to do. When problems arose over the distribution of food to widows in the Jerusalem church, Scripture tells us that the twelve apostles gathered all the disciples together and said it's not right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we'll turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. And this proposal pleased the whole group. Being a servant is not glamorous. It's not a high-profile position. But servants in God's church are absolutely indispensable. Our church won't function without people who are willing to clean up after others, to maintain the facilities and grounds, to greet people, and so on, all kinds of jobs. Servants are so indispensable that God gives a very special and important spiritual gift of helps to people so that they can find joy doing <clears throat> behind-the-scenes work. People with the gift of helps are very often uncomfortable being up front and being visible. They actually don't like to be singled out. They like to work behind the scenes. Third category is teachers. Church needs brains. <laughs> teachers are similar to preachers, but the focus here is on the correct understanding of the Bible and doctrine for believers. Teachers provide systematic instruction in the truth rather than the public proclamation. In Acts, we find this actually illustrated Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures, and he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. He spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited them to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. And when Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. Apollos, a preacher, needed teachers to straighten him out, to help him. Okay? People like Priscilla and Aquila. Fourth, if it is to encourage, then give encouragement. The church needs encouragers. Church needs encouragers. Other translations call this the gift of exhortation. The church needs a side to bring along 
by others, okay? To come alongside, that's literally what the word means. It's, it's uh, the same root as the Holy Spirit's title of comforter, the, the paraclete. In the Old Testament, Joshua did a marvelous job of encouraging the people's devotion. He said, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the god of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Of the New Testament, we find two key figures who were instrumental in the spread of Christianity, the founding of churches across the province of Asia. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. And Paul traveled through that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people, and he finally arrived in Greece. A fifth, if it's giving, then give generously. The church needs supporters, okay? Church needs people with open hands, not just closed, tight fists. It's everyone's responsibility to support the work that is blessing them, their families, and the community here. That's the way that God has ordained his ministry to work for millennia. The people of God are to support the work of God. In the Old Testament, the Israelites were instructed, each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. And we're also warned, I've seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners. In the New Testament, Christians are told, on the first day of the week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. And... Then in his second letter, he writes, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. And interestingly, Scripture tells us that God does give some people the unique spiritual gift of trusting him fully, so fully that they're able to give sacrificially well beyond the norm. Okay. The rest of us, though, cannot afford to depend on just a few people to do all the work. We each have to contribute our parts, our share in proportion to the way that God has blessed us. And to be as generous as possible as we can in giving to the Lord's work. Remember that where we invest our treasure and our time and our thoughts all are valuable key indicators of what it is we actually truly value. Next, Paul says, if it is to lead, do it diligently. The church needs leaders. Okay? Church needs eyes and ears to safely guide through a hostile and challenging world. Leadership can include the gift of administration, that is, the ability to make wise decisions with good foresight, and leaders also need to be alert to potential problems and be sensitive to the guidance of God to overcome those problems. First Timothy, Paul writes, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor. And finally, Paul mentions here mercy. 
If you have the gift of mercy, you should show mercy cheerfully. Church needs caregivers. We need arms to hug people with. The world is a painful and difficult place, is it not? And the church needs people who care for one another, whether that's by visiting someone in the hospital or who's laid up at home or by participating in our Caring Meals program to provide for those who need help. Jesus told this story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and said to the innkeeper, Look after him. And he said, When I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of his robbers? And the expert in the law replied, Well, the one who had mercy on him. <coughs> Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. Whatever gift it is that we have been given... God expects us to use it for the benefit of others. And as I said, this list here in Romans is certainly not exhaustive. It's merely meant to illustrate the kind of requirements we've looked at today. God's plan requires diversity, a profound unity, and that we see himself through, our, through his eyes, see ourselves through his eyes, but most importantly, we have to remember that God uniquely gifts each believer to accomplish his plan. And that makes us a part of something greater than ourselves. By participating in God's plans, our lives are given significance and purpose that only God himself can provide. Let's pray. Lord, we have a tendency to fall to one of these two extremes. To see ourselves far too highly, more highly than we ought, or to be afraid to not be willing to step up and do the things that you have called us to do. Help us, Lord, to find that appropriate balance and help us, Lord, to be willing to live our lives in the service of others. For this is what you did for us, and we are called to emulate you. In Jesus' name.